You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Happy, happy new year. Yeah, happy new year. Do you feel any different? 2021. Well, as you know, Brandon, and other folks may not know, we didn't exactly ring out or ring in the new year because we were uh, dealing with a family situation with somebody being diagnosed positive with COVID. So we had a nice, quiet New Year, Chinese food and champagne. You know, I I don't really like anything more than that. Just the two of us and my one uncle, D, from a distance. Shout out to Uncle D for totally taking care of us in the middle of this family, I don't want to say crisis, but hiccup for sure. And it's the start of 2021. I, I'm definitely excited for it. Uh, it's interesting if I were to get into it, I didn't get all the things done I had wanted to complete in 2020. And I was talking to my therapist today and her big question is why, like, why do you need to do these things? Why is it so important? Because I feel so torn between wanting to do them, but also not wanting to do the work, (laughs) you know, like to magically happen. uh, Not so much that because, you know, I, I love the work, but this, this, I think feeling torn between what you feel you should do and what you really enjoy doing. And one of the questions she posed to me had to do with like, why, why, like, what's your vision, right? What is your mission? What is your purpose? She said, avoid mission creep. I thought this was really interesting where other things are creeping into my mission and distracting from what I want to do. So if I'm in the privileged position to not have to do things I don't want to do, why do I? So we got into the, you know, the scarcity mindset that I struggle with, some of the fear of saying no, wanting everyone, and this is a word that comes up for me, desperately to like me. And that's a really hard thing because you're setting yourself up for failure. So uh, I guess I just came out of my therapy session. (laughs) So I'm letting loose, but uh, I am excited for 2021. Do you have any resolutions? I posted some New Year's resolutions on Instagram just now that you can go check out at Sex with Dr. Jess. But have you thought about anything there, babe? You know, I haven't I haven't done an entry yet to highlight what I want to achieve. But thinking on the spot, I want to be more efficient with my time. When I'm doing a task, I want to be more efficient. But I also decided that I want to be more forgiving of myself mm. when I'm when I'm struggling or when I'm not being as efficient as I want to be. Yeah, because you're you're definitely hard on yourself. Yeah, I find I'm generally pretty focused, but throughout the last nine months, there have been periods where I have not been focused. So I want to just cut myself a little bit of slack and, and apply that principle across the board, not only to work, but also to, for instance, working out or staying active, like not getting irritated when I don't get a workout in or not getting irritated when I don't eat as well as I want to. Every opportunity is a chance to start again or to improve. Right. And maybe not to have to improve, like just to be because that perfectionism, uh, which is something I struggle with, and it is not a positive thing, no, is no. Uh, it's it's exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting. It's psychologically draining. It's physically draining. So less of that in 2021. Yeah, generally, I feel good about 2021. I I feel like it's going to be a much better year than last year. And there's already, we're starting off the year with some good news with the... uh, 
with the election in, in Georgia. Oh, okay. I saw you following this morning. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still catching up. Well, uh, I'm excited because today we're going to be talking to Dr. Harider McDowell, also known as Dr. Mack, a community psychologist, a sexologist, an author, a professor, and they're joining us to talk about the influence of black women on human sexuality and gynecology, the differences between, uh, you know, the differences faced by black women in terms of nudity and body positivity tied in with history, uh, sexual barriers that adversely affect and impact meaningful relationships. So some some very big topics. Before we welcome Dr. Mack to the program, want to shout out our sponsor, letsgetcheck.com. All sorts of health tests you can do from home. Receive your results confidentially and securely online. Check them out at letsgetcheck.com. And again, please use code Dr. Jess. And I want to shout out Womanizer as well, because I had a really... A fun day yesterday <laughs> with a womanizer. Womanizer offers these pleasure air toys that are like no other toy on the market, and they've re- they've really revolutionized the field. Uh, check out womanizer.com, and again, please use code Doctor Jess to save a few dollars, and also so that they know you learned about it here. Uh, we are going to be discussing some big topics. So without further ado, let's dive in with Dr. Mack because I know we are going to learn so much from her. Welcome, welcome, Dr. Mack. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Wonderful. Happy to have you here. Thank you. Now, you do a lot of things and Mm -hmm. both online, in the community, one-on-one, in education. How did you get into this field? Oh, what's so interesting is I started off just um, as an educator, a literature teacher for elementary school students, and I was that teacher that the girls came to with those questions, and it would just become standard that you would come to my class to ask a question, to pick up something that maybe you didn't get at home, and then I also was that friend who could get the awkward or quote-unquote awkward questions and uh was never judgmental. I just had a very open spirit. And it was one of those things that sound cliche, like, huh, what could I do all the time and talk about all the time? Sex. So it worked. Then I got into my doctoral program and my dissertation chair said, hey, if you want to study black women specifically, you're not going to have a lot of literature to back you up. You're not going to have a lot of references um, that directly correlate to you all. So if you want to take this ride, I'll take you on as a student and it'll just be me and you. And I ended up um, having the opportunity to research and work with over 500 black women that were really open with me, um, really truthful. And I just was amazed at ending every focus group or session and they would respond with, well, what's next? Thanks for this focus group, but what? Okay, how do where do we go now? (laughs) <laughs> and I said, well, I guess that's me. Let me develop something. So you came to sexuality through education. I actually have the same story. I was a high school teacher. But I'm most interested in your research mm-hmm. with 500 black women. What did you study? What did you learn? I studied how we're trained to communicate about sex and the lack thereof. And what that level of uh, communication did to our sexual experiences and why we're fourth and fifth and sixth generations with the same stories. 
the same stories about nudity, virginity, religion, barriers, where we just have a few gaps that we didn't really have the freedom to explore because we were surviving. So in a lot of instances, we went from, you know, massive reproducers, you know, never even understanding what the term like rape meant because it just what it's what was. So where do you go from, you know, slavery, post reconstruction, the civil rights movement where we're just, I don't know, religious and we're doing things to protect our sanity. So there's never a conversation about anything related to nudity, sexuality, or the many terms that some of us are not even familiar with. So once I studied and worked with these black women, they explained that, hey, by the time I had my first conversation about sex, I was already pregnant. Or we don't talk about anything, so I don't talk about rape. I just survive and move forward. And then we're devastated when our daughters and our granddaughters and our great-granddaughters have the exact same story of abuse and trauma and body shame and the list goes on and on. And mom and grandma are wondering, like, well, I guess if we would have told the truth, we might have helped them. And that story played over and over with different nuances, but it was really the same trend. And so what did you do with that research in terms of developing developing your programming? Mm-hmm. So originally, I um, wrote a curriculum that I wanted to start with younger girls because the bottom line to me was, well, our responsibility now is to the youth. We've had our experiences. We've gone through some things. So how do we tell them our real truth? Do we remember when we were 15 and 16? Do we remember what was happening to our bodies and what was really important to us uh, seventh and eighth grade? And sometimes we forget and we tell our adult versions of things and it's uh, full of untruths that we think protect the next generation. And in fact, your truth and your communication is really the prevention to anything. So from there, I said, well, communication is the prevention to the prescription, whatever it is. And from that developed a nonprofit and was able to do a great partnership with Chicago Public Schools, as well as the the surrounding chartering schools. And we were able to touch uh, a lot of girls uh, with our nonprofit Pretty, where we speak to them at their level, but in a very direct way, offering them our own personal stories as well. Like, you're gonna feel this, you're gonna think this. And our program is the only one that's research-based specific to black girls and women. And we invite all who identify as female fifth to 12th grade without promoting abstinence or marriage, which is a bit taboo in the black community. One of the elements with sex almost always relates back to shame and Shame breeds in in different cultures, in different families, in different places, in different ways. But it's omnipresent, really. It's always there. And I have some questions from listeners. You're a community psychologist and a sexologist, so I thought you could maybe weigh in on a few of these. Happy to. Okay, so this one's nice and short and sweet. I should say that. Folks, I love when you write me a short and sweet question because, <laughs> you know, some of them are really long and I, I you know, don't want to lack empathy because I know people want to share their stories. Sure. But the short ones are easier for me to get to because we do get them in great volume. So this person says, how do I get over the shame? I know sex is healthy, but I still have a little voice in the back of my mind saying it's dirty every time I do it and it's affecting my marriage. Mm. 
I think that's a great question. And I love that you said that it is something that is omnipresent through a lot of us, no matter our race. And we have to find the onset, right? So in our community, sometimes it's our mothers. That's the voice. That's the voice that said that you were fat, that you were going to hell, that you were, you know, inappropriate, that you weren't ladylike. And then even though you think that you may move past mom or your choir director, your coach, a teacher, somebody who you held uh, in reverence and something they did truly breached um, the trust that you had and the confidence that you were building. And it causes a bit of a developmental delay as it relates to confidence. So sure, you have the look externally and you got the husband and you got the job, but when you're quiet by yourself, and you haven't been encouraged to touch yourself or understand your body or masturbate or give yourself permission to watch and be turned on by things, you are wanting to be influenced by your partner, but it's a challenge because they're helping to assist something that already has to reside in you. So if you can get back to the onset of where that voice came from, you can make an honest attempt to shut it up. And to really dive into your own body positivity activities, their journals, their videos, their affirmations. A lot of people are getting in tune with their chakras and understanding a lot of different holistic methods to fall in love with themselves. So when someone says something similar to that mom or that coach or that grandmother, you can say, you know what, I shut this person up before so you couldn't be right. What my body is feeling has to be accurate or I wouldn't be feeling it. So that would be my advice. I love that. Now, when you say fall in love with yourself, what do you mean by that? And, and how important is it? It's important because when we think about the medical uh, profession and medical practitioners, you as a patient have to inform them. And in order to inform them, you have to look and touch and feel and help them with their practice. Because we love to get mad at physicians when they, you know, don't know everything. But Falling back in love with yourself is truly signing your own permission slip for what you like when nobody's around. So if you're really a, a foodie and, and when everybody is gone, you just want to put butter and sugar and flour on everything, you have to figure out how to create that space. You know that's not sustainable, but that's you. If you are a country Western person and your culture says that you're not supposed to like it, yeah, that doesn't make sense. You're not loving yourself. You're not answering to what it is that you like. If you are like me, want to in the afternoon have orange hair and a leopard shirt because that's your mood, that's exactly what you want to do. And the more you do it, the more confident you are and the more you fall in love with yourself because you're not code switching for everybody else to sign off on, I don't know, a permission slip of life. Can we talk about code switching? Because that's a term we use in different communities. But Brandon, right. I don't know if you know what code switching is. I I am aware, but I'm sure that somebody <laughs> could explain it to me much better than what I believe to understand. Hmm. That's me. And it's interesting because it's cultural, right? So every culture has a code switch um, and every gender has a code switch. So to speak to the black female community, we always feel that we have to be overeducated, overexperienced, and overdressed. It's an automatic code switch that goes against something that we 
are naturally so we shift our dialect we shift our tone sometimes I have a deep voice I know some of us try to talk lighter so it doesn't seem as aggressive or assertive uh, some of us uh, go against our natural curl patterns and straighten things out because it's not acceptable some of us code switch our entire figures sometimes to not be offensive to whomever told us that our shapes were offensive. And uh, sometimes it's in business. We go home for the holidays. We code switch for our parents. We put the weed down and don't drink as much. I don't know. But it's a code switch because of holidays. Um, but it's the, the switch up that you have to do to make a space feel safer. Right, for yourself or even for other people who maybe have more power than you. Right. I, th I think about all my different voices. And uh, a very good friend said to me, you sound so different on the podcast. And other people have said, like, you sound different when you're, you're talking to someone out in public. Like, I noticed that I try and seem sweeter than I am. <laughs> right, right. And Real that's comment. a universal woman thing. I don't know. We just, I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and also... um. It's a way of, of protecting ourselves. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be ex able to explain this properly, but I'll hear people say, especially white people say things about certain cultures and say, oh, they mm -hmm. don't do that or they're not into that or they're shy about that or they don't talk about that. And what I want to tell them is, no, actually, we just don't, t don't talk about it in front of you necessarily, mm -hmm. right? We don't right. necessarily feel safe speaking about it in front of you. So it's it's our topics change, our language change, changes the way we dress has to change. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a, that's a burden and it can also be a trauma. Like the emo right. the emotional, practical, financial, yes. uh, you know, exhaustion of that can be experienced as trauma over time. Extreme mental trauma, especially, you know, when we're speaking of white privilege, that's just one of the things that's on the list. Like you don't understand code switching if you never have to. People switch towards the um, quote unquote majority. And usually if we are toning ourselves down, it's to make someone white or like you said, a superior uh, comfortable. And if you are in the space where you have no safe spaces afterwards, you find yourself cold switching at work, you cold switch with your husband, you cold switch with your girl groups, you cold switch with your parents. It's like, well, who, when are you yourself on vacation? So and a lot of people will answer yes. Oh, when we go to the islands, I can be myself. Well, what do you do now in this pandemic? You're just not going to be yourself until they let us out. So it's a challenge and it builds up to the point where you completely lose yourself and then you have to really take steps and do your work to kind of get back to you. And in psychology, which is so white dominated and historically mm -hmm. more male dominated, and I've heard you talk yes. about, um, you know, gynecology and other areas being dominated in a similar fashion, mm -hmm. we wonder, it, there is so much left out of the research, right? We can say, oh, well, the data shows, but with right. whom did we collect that data? Well, we know right. it's primarily white college students because it's a convenient mm -hmm. sample. And so yes. even in, in a field that, you know, pretends to be rooted in science, we still struggle with massive gaps when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to gender identity, and when it comes to race and yes. culture. Um, so I really I appreciate what you're saying about falling in love with yourself. Um, mm -hmm in private and it makes me think of masturbating and of course that is not the only way to love yourself but that's a good start it doesn't suck <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't suck <laughs> unless you have a section toy then maybe it does but right. anyhow <laughs> uh folks should check those out womanizer.com <laughs> and you that? can use you can use code dr jess to save i love it <laughs>
while you're at it. So I, I have another question here about masturbation, about mm-hmm. this person's like, you know, they're based, it's a long letter. So they say that, you know, experts are always saying masturbate, but they don't even know where to start. And, you know, they were raised with so much shame and judgment around it that they just can't bring themselves to do it. So they want to know, number one, am I okay if I don't? And number two, how do I push through and make it happen? So I would say, compare it to personal training. Anytime we're going through something where we're trying to unlearn something and really shift the dynamic, it's a challenge in the beginning. So any of us who have had a weight loss journey, or it's funny because my husband is trying to grow his his beard out and just one spot just won't come through. And um, it's challenging because you have to go through the phase. And it's always uh, brighter on the other side, but you can't skip the phase. So you have to start by just looking at, and I say her because I always want people to name her so that there's a there's an ownership, it's a possessiveness to it. And a lot of us don't give porn credit as uh, research. That's data. Those numbers, if you look how to masturbate, or if you're looking at something and it's watching X, Y, and Z masturbating. You look at the numbers, it's 1.2 billion, whatever. You're not the only person trying to get a self-help video so you can figure out what it is that you want to do. So don't make yourself feel like you have to know what you're doing because you're a certain age or because you've had kids. There are women who have had more kids than orgasms. So we know that some of us don't um, know what we're doing. And I think that we have to give ourselves permission to laugh. If you're getting toys and you're trying something out, check it out, do it wrong, watch another video and exploring that, you're going to accidentally figure out what your thing is and what your rhythm is. And if you have an accountability, trust, girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, talk about it. And you'll be surprised that your friend is like, girl, I've been trying to figure it out too. Is there an app for that? What are you reading? Let's watch this. Let's do that. It doesn't have to be so damn serious. Right. I that would that would be my advice. Right. And and it's not the last time you're gonna do it, right? If you do it and it no. doesn't feel good, if you do it and you feel like it fails, like guess what? You're gonna be able to masturbate tomorrow. You're gonna be able to And who are you reporting to? Right? <laughs> you know, the masturbation gods. Exactly. They know that you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, um, so much of what holds us back is this pressure to be perfect. Because this this next question I have, my boyfriend wants me to make noise in bed, but I always feel too shy. Help, I don't want to be the silent prude. I love when people name themselves in these little notes. I know. And words have so much power. But if you, if you know it, then he knows it too. I think that um, perfection parallels paralysis. And I truly feel that the more you try to reach it, the further in reverse you're going. And I think if you have a partner that you can play with, why can't we tone it down a bit with having to be on point? Because now you're code switching at home. And that's supposed to be the safe space. That partner is supposed to be the one that you can, you know, hang with and figure things out with and laugh with. And if there is a sound that is the wanting to come out of you, once again, the fact that you're thinking about it or overthinking about it, you're repressing something that's about to happen naturally. And that is, you know, the possibly why your orgasms aren't where they could be because it comes with a scream. And you're taking the cherry off the top. 
because you're thinking somebody cares. And if you trusted your partner and he says, I really don't care about any of that, then you realize that it's completely self-inflicted and it's in your own head and you could possibly experience what the next level could be if you truly just flowed organically in the moment. A lot of stuff can happen. Absolutely. Now, you you talk <laughs> about nudity and body positivity or body neutrality. Can you tell me about your work with that, with your experiences, uh, how it can be different for Black women as opposed to white women? So with Black women, we weren't given permission to love our bodies before our bodies were used as tools. So to tell me to love my breast, to give myself a self-examination, to then inform you that I may have found a lump, and then you find the lump, and then I feel guilty that I never gave myself the breast exam, it's a pile up of trauma and shame because we should have known better. And we put a lot on our shoulders as black women because we are constantly looking for ways to not be judged for something else again. And we don't want to seem overtly sexy. We don't want to necessarily be judged as hypersexual because of our attire. We don't want to be judged because of our curves. We are just now hitting a stride of having places to shop for small waistlines and big butts, which are items we were born with before you could purchase them. And we're excited that we have, you know, all of these different outlets now that can provide fashion for us. Um, But when we talk about loving our bodies, it's, it's a cliche thing because it was a tool and then it had to be protected. So you were raised to keep your skirts a certain length, to watch your cleavage. And it wasn't just an elder being mean to you. It was an elder trying to protect you because a man could do any and everything to you, married to him, not married to him at any age. And there was no recourse. And currently to this day, the way they're trafficking black girls, there's still no recourse for snatching us up and doing whatever you want to do to us. So to tell us that we should be happy about our nudity, it comes with a lot of fear and it comes with a lot of shame because we are just now getting to the point where we truly, truly, truly love all the varieties of us. And representation is increasing in the media. We have more than one aisle in the beauty supply stores for our hair. Uh, We have different bra sections that'll give you a big cup and a small number. All of these things that I know that white women don't have to consider are our day-to-day considerations with every single thing that we do. And we're still um, in our first stages of a lot of revolutions. And... We don't want to be, like I said, judged any further, but we're at a really, really good spot right now of making sure that the next generation, they're a lot more boisterous and outspoken and body positive. So I'm excited that the granddaughters are about to start helping the grandmothers out on this nudity thing. I love that. And so when we <laughs> think about nudity, how do how do you approach that with the young people that you work with? I know that, so you have a web series Black yes. women sex on and on YouTube, mm-hmm. you yes. you're launching Clutched Pearls, a two on one counseling yes. session providing an indiv- individualized partnership development and sexual empowerment plan. Yes, um, can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that web series and this program? 
So the web series, Black Women, Sex, and it was a different topic every single week. We did uh, six episodes, and it was really how we juggle a lot of different things. So episode one is Black Women, Sex, and COVID. Like, what are we doing? We're, we're not necessarily the online daters. We, we Our trust is always a, a thin for a lot of different things based on how we've been exploited. So what are we doing? You know, are, are, we, are we actually on Tinder? Are we utilizing some of the things that our counterparts are using? Then we talk Black Women, Sex, and success you know why do we feel the need to be super women why do we judge one another um on a lot of different instances if we're married or not how many husbands or children's fathers we have so it was just a lot of different uh topics that related to things that we're going through narratives that we passed down clutch pearls the two-on-one clinical and community experience it's myself a community psychologist and a partner a colleague of mine a clinical uh, psychologist and there's a curriculum and a a 10-step plan for everything but just like masturbation it's no 10-step plan for that so if i want to call and have someone truly take the educational approach and say hey What's your story? How do we get here? And how do we create a plan for you to develop the partnership that you have, um, be single happily, or begin to really make a plan to commit to someone? And then we add the sex to that because some uh, clients may say, hey, I'm in it, but tomorrow I'm supposed to go over there and I don't know what to do. And sometimes as a 30 or 40 year old woman, you're thinking like, I know everything else. Why do I feel like I'm 17 going to this man's house? And we, you know, we put, put the pedigree away and turn back into the 17 year old girl that's, you know, has a crush on the football player and and you forget all your accolades because it doesn't matter when it comes to that type of thing. So our team is really coming to help our clients create a sustainable plan for sex and partnership development. Oh, I love that. I love a plan. Brendan knows I love a plan. And um, like, <laughs> I'm always trying to create relationship plans with couples because mm-hmm. they spend all mm-hmm. this time planning their weddings, but not any time planning their relationship. Exactly. And so the idea exactly. of a sexual empowerment plan sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. So folks, yeah. uh, they can learn more about this on IG. You're at yes. Clutched Pearls. Love that. And mm-hmm. then you're personally doc, Inc. but I'll, I'll put all of those in the show notes. Um, who, who is eligible to look into this Clutched Pearls program? So, of course, representation is key, and we want to make sure that black and brown women look at two black women and say, we get it. Please talk candidly. Don't code switch with us. Don't put your pearls on for us. So ideally, we want the women who felt that nobody got it and nobody would understand it, and they just want to have a clinical and a community in their pocket to say, okay, do it, and this is how. And this is your homework. We'll see you next week. I love it. I I also love homework. Well, I like assigning it, not actually doing it. Right. Absolutely. A a true teacher. Uh, Before we let you go, can you give us an idea of what you want to change in sexuality, in body positivity, and creating more meaningful sexual relationships? Hmm. Curriculum-wise, I want to put Black women in the curriculum. Black women aren't mentioned in human sexuality curriculum at all. And the tools that are still used in gynecology right now and reproductive health, those tools were uh, on the backs and vaginas of slave women. Slave women who were experimented on, and there's a statue of the person who experimented on them in a lot of places in this country. We still have to study him and his work, and those names are omitted. 
uh, Narca, Betsy, and Lucy, three slaves who went through uh, trials um, of experimentation over the course of years. And I want those women and their stories and our stories included in human sexuality curriculum. Sexual development and relationships, I want people to be free because I'm aware that a free sexual experience is good for every single part of your body. Whether it is a stress reliever, uh, whether it's keeping your waist completely snatched because you don't do as much cardio as you would in the bedroom on the treadmill, period, if you love it. So just really making people understand that what you feel is okay. You just didn't know that you had all these options. I love that. And and so what can we do today? What can each person do to have a more free sexual experience? What do you recommend? Is it looking down there and taking a good look? Is it, you know, getting naked? Is it writing down those sources of shame? Where do you suggest folks start to have a more free sexual experience? If nobody was watching, what would you want to do? That's a good question. And do it. Brandon, what, what would you do if nobody was watching? I... We watch. <laughs> <laughs> we see you. I... I, I struggle with appreciating my own body. So I think okay. even just getting naked, looking at myself, not being critical of myself would probably be something that I would, that, that would help me. I mean, I really, Dr. Mack, when you said, you know, what are you when nobody else is paying attention really stuck out for me at the beginning, because are you doing these things because socially you're told to be a foodie or you're told to be this or to be that, what are you when nobody else is paying attention and what feels good for you? So th there's right. been a few, there've been a, a, a lot that I have taken out of this conversation. But for me, going back to the question, it's just, you know, stripping down and looking at myself and being like, you know what, this is the vehicle that carries me through this life. I really need to be a very appreciative of what it's given me and what it continues to and kind of just relish in the good that it is. I love that. I love that. And that's not arrogant. They tell us that when we start to loving ourselves too much, it's ego. It's like, what? Right. And that's harder, I think, for women and particularly for black women and other women of color and to some degree that, you know, if you mm -hmm. like yourself too much, if you're overconfident, then it's it's a problem. Um, but that's mm -hmm. because they also profit from you not loving yourself. So there's many, Facts. mostly capitalist layers to all of this. Now, if, if mm -hmm. no one was watching, what would I do? First of all, I'd need people there because I'd need them to do the work part for me. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Right. right. But I'd do nothing. I'd let them do all the work. Um, mm -hmm. But without judgment, if I had the energy, I think um, – I think of my – I have a writing partner named Marla Renee Stewart that most people have heard of because she co-wrote co the last book with me. And mm -hmm. one thing Marla talked about, and this is so Marla, if you know Marla, Brandon knows Marla, um, is she likes to feel adored. And Marla is very adored by many people. But I, I mm -hmm. don't think I've ever – kind of tapped into that admired yes lusted after yes but mm -hmm. I love the idea of adoration and maybe playing with yeah. a kinkier side of that like with multiple in, in a fantasy world like with multiple people mm -hmm. so yep. you've definitely given us uh, something to think about I'll give you the option to share and if you don't want to you don't have to what what you would do if no one was watching I do a lot of stuff with people watching <laughs> um but 
it's uh, it's interesting that you have the adoration fantasy because I've heard that um, in a lot of different um, spaces with uh, women who work with their chakras and, and, and feel like they're in tune with a lot of different things holistically, they have that same thing where it's like, I want a team or a board that adores me and, and different genders and different experiences. So you can kind of tap in and out as you please. Um, but each of them just have an extreme level of, of adoration. And I think they call it the queen's theory, um, where it's, it's, you, you know, every, Every film we've seen that's based uh, in a, a specific time where you could be just out. And then I think I, I, I would have wanted to be a free love hippie at one point. Like that whole concept seems like I maybe lived in that time. You want to trade? So I would go back and do that. Hold all the stuff that was happening to black people in the 60s. Just give me that part. Right. And I think I would do that if no one was watching. Right. Trade and honey. Right. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for the thank you for the work that you do. We're really appreciative. Thanks for having me. And thank you for tuning in. Here is to a happier, healthier, more harmonious 2021. And if you have any ideas for the show for the upcoming year, please holler at us. Please subscribe, share, and if you like our programming, we really appreciate a review wherever you listen because it helps us to spread the word and grow and hopefully bring you even better programming moving forward. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Thank you.